Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is made possible with the support of Seabury Capital Group. Global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com. Hotel Connections, the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. HotelConnections.com. And Boyd Group's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. Visit AirlinesConfidential.com to attend at a reduced rate. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. After two weeks doing something unbelievable, getting on an airplane, I think he finally spent another week on the ground with the rest of us. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Am I right, Ben? You didn't fly this past week, did you? No, that's right. I did not. And if you want to go to a political protest and you ask him, he's likely to say, if it's a protest about high airfares, I'm there. It's Seth (laughs) Kaplan, NPR's here and now transportation analyst. Something everybody can agree on. Well, pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Uh, today, we're going to talk about M&M, no, not the candy, masks and middle seats, uh, going in two very different directions. And could it be true that Delta is, quote, yesterday's genius, as one of its competitors called it last week? Nothing passe about this show. Let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. American Airlines said late last week it would join United in being willing to sell all its seats on all of its flights. Now, look, we all know true social distancing has never really been possible on airlines. No way to keep everyone six feet apart from each other. But for anyone who feels a foot and a half, that's the width of a middle seat, is better than nothing or that 100 people on a flight are better than 150, Americans, not your airline. United's not either. Neither are plenty of others around the world. In the U.S., Delta and Southwest are continuing to block middle seats through at least September. So this is interesting. Two very different approaches among the big four U.S. airlines. Ben, It strikes me that Delta and Southwest were the two airlines among the big four that were just sort of in the best shape going into the crisis, the best balance sheets. Uh, United somewhere behind them and then American somewhere behind United even. Is it a coincidence here that Delta and Southwest, you know, whatever you think about how helpful leaving the middle seat is empty, uh, that Delta and Southwest are the two that are kind of taking the long view here, hoping maybe to shift some share, doing something that'll maybe make people happy, rather than saying, hey, we've got a financial crisis, we've got to sell every seat. Am I reading too much into it? Or or would those have been the two that you might have guessed would be able to do something like that? It's a good question, Seth. I'm not sure that it's related to their position coming in. I might have said that America needs to do this because they have so much debt But United's in a little different position. I honestly think it's more of the culture of the airlines. You know, Ed Bastian at Delta has very publicly gone out and said that he believes there should be a regulation that you're required to wear a mask on board. We're going to talk about that soon, right? And um, and that's put him sort of at the forefront of that idea. No other airline CEO that I know of has been that upfront about that. And so – What airlines need to do clearly is build confidence back in consumers that they can be safe when they're traveling. 
And some airlines out there, like the ones you mentioned, and JetBlue's doing this too. They're a smaller airline, right? But they're doing this too. They're blocking seats so that customers can say, look, if I book on them, there's a good chance I'm going to have an empty seat next to me. And that makes me feel better about it. And some airlines are taking the view that the investment in terms of letting some seats go empty is worth it for the underlying confidence that you can build in the traffic base so that at some point we've got all the demand comes back more quickly. And I think that Southwest and Delta are in a financial position to help make that bet somewhat, but I actually think it ties to both companies' corporate cultures really well too. So I'm not sure that it's the balance sheet or it's Gary Kelly and Ed Bastian and their vision of what their companies are all about that's driving it more, to be honest. Interesting. More philosophy than sort of short-termism when it comes to finances. Because look, I'm sure all of these airlines would agree that there's somebody out there, some number of people, maybe a big number of people who would prefer a middle seat empty to a full seat. I mean, heck, even in normal times, right? We would all rather have a middle seat be empty than than full. It's just more comfortable. Now you have the extra layer, obviously, of, of, of health risk here. And so anyway, if we're all sort of agreement on that, then it's just a question of of degree of how many people uh, and and it may be that Delta and Southwest are even on some level in agreement with United American, but just think long term, this is, as you said, philosophically the right thing to do. You mentioned masks then, the other M. I think a month or two ago, we talked about the four M's, right? And masks and middle seats (laughs) for two of them. Anyway, on this show, just two M's. So masks, Allegiant last week became the last of the notable U.S. airlines to begin requiring masks. And we talked about this a month or so ago, that they were the only one to not require masks. And, and it was kind of interesting that they... They, they suggested it, but... They, they suggested it, and they even gave them out for free, and, and you know, the, along with wipes and and uh, gloves. I mean, so they went beyond airline, other airlines in that regard, but, but it was a, a, a strong suggestion, not a requirement. And and now that has changed. And we speculated back then, look, maybe just the fact that they serve different markets, they tend to serve heartland markets where back then COVID was a little less prevalent, uh, where people were a little more skeptical about requiring rather than than recommending masks, perhaps. Uh, Now you have Vice President Mike Pence saying that he encourages people to wear masks. You have governors in some of the states that had been skeptical, the Floridas and Texas of the world, doing similar things. And you have Allegiant now requiring masks. Uh, This on the heels of a report I saw in the Indianapolis Star, there was a passenger uh, before that requirement from Indianapolis flying to Florida on Allegiant who said he got on a flight, he saw a packed flight with lots of people not wearing masks, including, he said, uh, flight attendants. He said three of the four flight attendants he saw were not wearing masks. He just got off the flight. He, he wasn't interested in flying, uh, you know, whether or not he could get his money back. Uh, so interesting here. Uh, you know, things are changing. It's becoming squishier as far as where the real hotspots are and, and uh, you know, sort of the perhaps attitudes toward all of this shifting in, in the country. Allegiant makes this change. Now, Ben, clearly one difference between middle seats and masks is that it is indisputably very expensive to block middle seats, whereas it's inexpensive to simply require masks, even to give them out. I mean, what does it cost a few cents to give out a mask if you're going to do that? So is that really the biggest difference here, that with masks, it's 
almost entirely political, whereas with middle seats, there's, yeah, a philosophical element, as you said, and also a financial element that's much bigger than the mask requirement. Is that is that a fair characterization? I think that is a fair characterization, Seth. I was surprised to hear that some of the Allegiant flight attendants were not wearing masks. I would have thought that even when they made it a recommendation for customers, they still would have said, we're going to protect our own people and so that was interesting, that story about the Indianapolis guy. Uh, but now I'm sure everyone on Allegiant's going to be wearing masks. And now they're going to have the issue that all the other airlines have is when somebody doesn't, what do you do about it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. uh, but but I do think it's I do think it's consistent with sort of the general environment right now. Like, you know, over the last week since we recorded last week's episode, there's now something like 31 states that are actually reporting increases in COVID cases, not necessarily deaths. I'm not talking about deaths, but just cases of COVID. And so there's this sense with Vice President Pence, like you said, saying, you know, I think this makes sense. And there's just the sense that wearing a mask when you're in a crowded public space is the right thing to do. Let me tell you an interesting story. I think I was at a store this week and I was wearing my mask and I I went through one of the self-checkout things. Uh-huh. And one of my items just wasn't checking out properly. And so I hit the little help button and a person, uh, a worker came over and she was wearing a mask also. And I'm standing there and she's typing in her code and she looks at me and she says, could you step back six feet, please? Oh, and I thought, hmm, OK, you know, but I thought that six feet was when you're not wearing masks. And like, you know, that like that's that's the distance you need to be when you're not wearing a mask. And since we were both wearing masks, it's not like we were really right next to each other. But I was kind of surprised that. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. And I stepped back. Yeah. But the whole situation was, you know, it's just how people are thinking now. Yeah. You got to wear a mask. You got to be separated. And I think that's what Allegiant's reacting to. And I think technically what what she did, uh, you know, there's this debate about whether requiring masks causes people to let down their guard in other regards and the world health organization somewhat controversially still is is is, is kind of being ambiguous about the requirement they're, they're they've basically said the most important thing is keeping your distance put on the mask if you can't keep your distance kind of like you said uh but uh, no i mean yeah no question if, if you can do both uh, even even better right right that's right well Yet another week, Ben, of great questions. I, I didn't think we could top last week, but this week's questions are giving last week's a run for their money. You got one coming up now. But first, I want to remind you about Clear. You know, you travel by air to save time, right? But then you have to allow all this extra time because who knows how long the security line is going to be when you get there. Even if you have TSA pre-checked, very often you see these other people going through more quickly. Why are they so special? They have Clear. You can travel with confidence with Clear. Touchless, fast, safer airport travel. Clear's touchless identity verification is available in 34 airports across the U.S., moving you quickly and without crowds through airport security. Enroll today at www.clearme.com. www.clearme, those two words, .com. So, you know, we talked about middle seats and economics and airlines are also looking for ways to cut costs. So as a reminder for everyone in and around the airline industry, that Hotel Connections is the global leader in crew logistics and accommodations. Every airline has lots of crew that they need to put in hotels and it'll be more as flying picks up. Hotel Connections is the best at this. So visit Hotel Connections. That's Hotel Connections, plural with an S at the end, hotelconnections.com. So to the mailbag now, Zach from New York, 
who is hiding from COVID in Pennsylvania. That's what he wrote in the field about where he's from, right? Hi, Ben and Seth. I read something in Airline Weekly. Ever heard of it this week and still don't know what to think about it. Uh, What is it? Vasu Raja, he's an SVP at American, their head of strategy, uh, talking up a big game at American. Let me stop there for a second. This is me talking now, Seth, not Zach. Uh, he's, I think, joking about Airline Weekly because I was there for 13 years. Uh, and I saw this also in Airline Weekly, and I believe this is actually Airline Weekly describing an interview in Plain Business Banter by Holly Hegeman. Uh, so, so now you're listening to Airlines Confidential talking about something that was in Airline Weekly, which was talking about something that was in Plain <laughs> Business Banter. So that's where you – so, but hey, go to either of those two wonderful publications. Uh, so back to Zach's question now. He says, Vasu is making bold a bold statement about American differentiating itself from the competition during the recovery, even going so far as to lodge direct attacks at its legacy peers and hometown rival. There's a lot to unpack here, but I have two questions for both of you. Number one, we know from prior podcasts and from math that American is being aggressive on the capacity front. Does Vasu have a point that, quote, tomorrow is up for grabs, unquote, or is this just the airline that will, quote, Never lose money again, unquote. Oh, poor Doug Parker. I feel bad that we keep being on that. That's what Parker said back in 2017. Uh, making a logical strategy for its domestic position look like a bold move to distract from the fact that it is widely perceived as the weakest of the mainline carriers in the U.S. Again, that's Zach speaking. Uh, Zach asked, number two, Delta became, quote, yesterday's genius, unquote. That, that was, again, according to Vasu Raja, because it is built up many unique areas of strength like labor maintenance, Atlanta, and strong joint ventures. But by and large, its success is a result of the revenue premium it gets from being likable and reliable. If Vasu is right and AA can cut into Delta's market share simply by being aggressive during the recovery, is this bad news for consumers when we are all back to, quote, normal? And the new winner of the industry is the airline many of us try to avoid. Thanks as always, Zach. Again, that's Zach's characterization of American. So as, as Zach said himself, a lot to unpack there. Uh, but, but Ben, number one, he's asking if, if, if American is trying to take something that's just kind of logical because it's the more domestic airline and make it look like something bigger in terms of restoring domestic capacity faster in Delta and United. Well, Zach has a whole episode in one question, doesn't he? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. God and the well, meaning of life, yeah. Well, a couple of things. Not, you know, in terms of big names in the industry, you think of like people like Bob Crandall and Herb Kelleher, right, and things like that, and maybe even Doug Parker and Scott Kirby and Ed Bastian, guys like that, current guys, right? But the name Vasu Raja doesn't show up all that often, but it is starting to because Americans' big buildup is largely credited or blamed, depending on which verb you want to use, on him being very aggressive about American keeping capacity up. And interestingly, if you look at where Americans' capacity is going, a large amount of that capacity is Dallas and Charlotte, two of Americans' most profitable hubs, at least pre-COVID, and what they believe can either become profitable more quickly than some of the other areas they're in. And so, you know, in the Southeast... Charlotte competes pretty much only with Atlanta as a connecting point for large traffic flows in and around the Southeast. And maybe they're trying to say, look, if Delta is going to be a little conservative, we can make people realize how great it is to connect in Charlotte, how convenient it is, how comfortable the rocking chairs are to sit in when you're waiting, when you're waiting for a flight. And, um, and they might say, here's our chance 
we've got a we got a lot of liquidity. We did all kinds of things to bring a lot of liquidity on board. Yes, we have debt, but we'll get that paid back someday. Right now, we can make a stand and say, let's grow and let's make people get comfortable connecting in places like Philadelphia and Charlotte and Dallas. And maybe over time, that'll that'll be good for us. I think it's an interesting strategy. I think it'll time will tell whether it's a good or bad strategy. I think what Americans clearly betting on, Seth, is that the recovery is sooner rather than later, that people are going to want to fly sooner rather than later. So why not get out there first and be the person with capacity? If that's not true, and if, in fact, they're losing cash on a number of these flights, which I don't know if they are, but if they are, then they could burn through that liquidity and find that they may need that liquidity a year from now if, in fact, we haven't seen that recovery. So I, I, I think it's premature to say whether American strategy makes sense right now. They are more domestic than either American or United. I mean, I'm sorry, than either Delta or United in terms of they have less international total operations than those two. So maybe they're saying, look, if, if the long haul is going to take longer to come back, and the domestic market is where the competition is going to be. We're going to jump out in this marathon and run fast the first couple of miles. And that's what they're thinking about. Now, will they make it through the whole race that way? We're going to have to see. And indisputably, uh, what you said about Charlotte versus Atlanta. Look, uh, Charlotte's domestic feed just doesn't depend as much on global traffic. In other words, not as many people flying on those domestic flights. If you picture flight from you know Fort Lauderdale to Charlotte versus flight from Fort Lauderdale to Atlanta, on average, more of those people on the Atlanta flight are usually connecting to a long haul flight than is the case from Charlotte because Atlanta is like twice as much by just kind of available seat mile, mile capacity, uh, looking at Sirium data, twice as international as Charlotte. So part of it is just that is just the reality that when that when global goes away, a lot of what usually feeds Atlanta with domestic flights, more of that demand goes away than Charlotte. So in that regard, American is 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 just kind of lucky, you could say, uh, notwithstanding the fact that obviously Delta went into this whole thing in, in, in better shape than American. And what about the question quickly, second question is this bad news for consumers if American can win, uh, if you sort of accept the argument that Delta, and I, and I, I mean, look, it's, it's not, Zach's not the only person saying this, I think. No question. If you just look at sort of the usual surveys out there, talk to people. Uh, yeah, business travelers, leisure travelers, everybody in, in recent years, I think more people would tell you they prefer Delta than American, which is not to say that can't change. But is is that bad news for consumers if American comes out a winner? <laughs> well, I don't think it's bad news for consumers because it's not like Delta's going away or United's going away. These airlines aren't going away. So in the meantime, if American gets a little stronger or wins some customers that – they might not have won if they had not done this. If you really don't like American, you don't have to fly American. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're going to Miami or Dallas and you want right. to fly nonstop, right? <laughs> or going from Miami to Dallas, then forget it. Or from Miami or, to Dallas. That's or like right. Dallas to Charlotte, yeah. Well, but also I, I was surprised to see Vasu sort of throw that shade at Ed Bassett <laughs> about, the, uh, about the yesterday's genius. Delta's not yesterday's genius. Delta's today's genius also. They're, 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 I think they're managing their situation really quite well. They do get a good revenue premium, and it's for the reasons he said. They have a good product, and they're reliable, and they treat people well. And you know, when you get on Delta, you don't get the sense that you're an annoyance to them. And sometimes yeah. when you fly American, that's exactly <laughs> what you feel. <laughs> Sometimes. Vasu <laughs> threw a lot of shade in that interview. Uh, Airline Weekly called it a remarkably 
candid interview. I mean, he, he criticized even, I mean, not by name, but sort of national leadership in terms of people's lack of confidence in things right now and all the rest of it. Worth a read. Well, passengers behaving badly. It's that time of the show, Ben. Usually we talk about one individual passenger. I have to say not one, I mean, good or bad, not one incident jumped out at me this week, right? Not not that one iconic fight between passengers or between a passenger and, and flight crew or anything. But Ben, you had an idea uh, because there are lots of passengers in mundane ways still behaving badly. So it's a 30,000 feet passengers behaving badly. Pa- ben, who, who are we talking about here? What we're talking about, Seth, is people who are still not wearing their mask when they're on an airplane. And I saw this story in the paper that said two days after American says they're going to enforce masks on board, there's a customer who doesn't want to wear one. And, you know, I've heard arguments like it's a free country and it's America and we don't have to wear a mask. But right now, the key for airlines is that they build back confidence in customers. And the reality is, is more people are going to be comfortable on a plane when everybody's wearing a mask. So, Seth, I just don't think it's the time right now to make a political statement about what your rights are or not. If if you have the ability to fly today, which is awesome. I mean, India didn't have any planes flying for five weeks. Yep. Right? They just shut it down. Yep. Didn't matter whether you would wear a mask or not. They were, You couldn't get out of plane. We have these freedoms in the U.S. And we give up something when for freedom all the time in terms of some limits. And it's not that big a deal to wear a mask. It's an easy thing to do. And most importantly, it's going to help bring back demand more quickly because it makes everyone more comfortable. So I think it's behaving badly if you get on a plane right now and to say, this is the time for me to stand on my soapbox and take my mask off. There's better soapboxes outside the airplane, I think. And if anything, it's a contradiction in terms for people to say, we want to reopen, uh, you know, stop imposing all this tyranny. And they make that statement by not wearing a mask because the way you get to reopen, the way you get to get the economy going again is by wearing a mask. I mean, that is, that's the easy sacrifice. And and I realize, sure, it's less comfortable than not wearing a mask, but, but we see now what has happened in places where it it all moved too quickly. And in some ways, uh, really the, the, the biggest issue, and certainly the easiest one to solve is just the wearing masks. There's other stuff that's harder. Uh, you know, in terms of keeping businesses closed and all that are much more painful. But uh, you can solve a lot of the problem just by uh, wearing the mask. And no question, people who aren't doing it on airplanes, because that's our domain here, <laughs> are the, the passengers behaving badly this week. Well, we told you once on an earlier episode that Keith Olbermann, many years ago, called our friend Ben here the second worst person in the world. And in all the years since, nobody has risen to defend him. But that all changes next when Airlines Confidential returns. Hey, I want to remind you that the International Aviation Forecast Summit is on August 23rd through 25th in Cincinnati. It's happening. One of the only things uh, that's happening. Now, I saw that the extra early rate available to the general public just ended uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, But there's actually an even lower rate than that, and it's available only to listeners of this show. The promo code is AC1550, AC1550, so you can either Google International Aviation Forecast Summit, just goes to their site, or if you jump on our site, airlinesconfidential.com, scroll down just a little bit, you'll see a, a, a banner for that. Click through, and you can get that lowest rate of all, and it goes back to, hey, wear your mask, you want to stay safe so that we can all get together 
in Cincinnati for the International Aviation Forecast Summit. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Fine or whine is next. But first, let's go back to the mailbag. Yoni in Chicago writes, what do you think the future holds for Amazon's cargo airline? Ben, do you have any insight from your UPS days? Could we see more passenger airlines like Sun Country flying for Amazon or maybe in Europe? So first of all, Ben, Yoni is what – well, let me ask you this. Do you, do you remember Neil Rogers, the legendary talk radio host down in Miami, or was that a little before you, no, you got I, down I, there? No, I remember that name, yeah. Okay, yeah. So he – so um, and, and he died several years ago, but he was uh, you know, very controversial, but, uh, but he was a longtime talk radio host, and he used to have what he called chronic callers, <laughs> people who called in all the time. So I think <laughs> – I think Yoni is a is a chronic questioner. That's a compliment, but uh, the, we, we, we've uh, heard from Yoni several times, always with great questions. Uh, so, so what about that, Ben? First of all, your UPS days. Yes, I worked for UPS for one year. You know, back in the early 90s, UPS was sort of dealing with the fact that they were discounting all these products and they didn't know quite what to do about that. So they hired two people from the airline industry. They hired me and a guy named Jim Compton, who airline people know later yeah. became the vice chairman at, Ameri- at United Airlines. United, but sure. They hired the two of us to go help them figure out how do you compete in a discount environment because that's what airlines are doing. <laughs> that's what airlines And Jim been. and I both spent one year at UPS, and then we both went to go work for Continental. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a great story, and, and uh, so 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 what do you think? I mean, this we've seen this shift, and you know, basically, passenger demand has fallen at the same time that cargo demand is is robust. I mean, globally, it's fallen, but basically, all this because all of this capacity in the bellies of passenger airlines went away. There was a shortage. Basically, passenger demand fell by more than passenger supply for a while, uh, but cargo demand fell a little bit. Cargo supply fell by a lot. There was all this demand for cargo, and you had, yeah, even airlines like Sun Country and others sort of quickly turning themselves into cargo operators, at least in more ways than they expected to. I think Sun Country is going to be doing some of that anyway for Amazon, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, what do you think here, Ben? Amazon's cargo airline, which is basically a virtual airline, right? It's other people flying for Amazon uh, right now with with Amazon, in some cases, painted on the planes. Well, you know, people. some people think of Amazon as a book company. Some, some think of them as a products company. Amazon is a huge logistics company, right? Yeah. Right. They've got to get products all over the all over the world, really, but largely all over the United States as well in, you know, a day or two days. And with Prime membership, you don't pay incrementally for that. And so Amazon has been great about figuring out how to do it. If you, if you remember, one of the things that President Trump has complained about since he doesn't like Jeff Bezos, who also owns the Washington Post. Um, yeah. But he's complained that you know the post office gives Amazon too good a deal. And that's yeah. one of the reasons that the post office is losing money. I don't know if that's true at all. But but it's just interesting <laughs> that like Amazon creates all this emotion around like delivery, but the, but they try to keep deliveries free or or very low cost for people, and yet they can get all kinds of products you know, of, of all types. They're clearly in the group of companies that is poised to do better in a post-COVID world than before COVID, right? Because 
on, on average, more people are going to be having things brought to their home instead of them driving out and shopping for it. And Amazon's a company that's going to do a lot of that. So the the issue for a country, for an airline like Sun Country, it's great for them to be able to win some of that business in the short term. In the longer term, I don't think that's a real long-term business model for any passenger airline to become a cargo airline for Amazon, because what Amazon's looking for is the commodity delivery, the cheapest possible way to get products from A to B and where planes make sense. I will tell you something about UPS. UPS is a big industrial engineering company, obviously, for what they do. And when I got to UPS, this was back in the 1990s, so I'm not suggesting it's the way it is today. But when I got to UPS, I was surprised about the way they thought about airplanes. They basically thought about airplanes as just big, fast trucks, right? I mean, they, they, uh, right, they could. And so they would have all these forecasts of where they'd have to deliver packages. And they would look at what's the lowest cost way for us to make good service on all these. And where a plane made more sense than a truck, they would use a plane. But where a truck made more sense than a plane, they would use a truck, right? And so that's the way Amazon's cargo airline is thinking. So if Sun Country wants to earn a good return for its investors in the short term, putting cargo on those planes to fly for Amazon while Amazon needs capacity and their their demand is ramping up is great short-term business for them. But I don't think it's Sun Country's long-term plan to become one of many outsourced cargo suppliers for Amazon because that's really not what that company is all about. Good in the short term, but I don't think it's uh, going to make sense. I know Wizz Air in Europe has done some of the same thing. They've talked about even potentially yeah. either just putting cargo on planes. Some airlines have even taken seats out of airplanes in the yeah. short term to add more cargo. All short-term things. These are passenger airlines that got to be back to carrying passengers at some point. But if you can make some cash in the interim, why not do that? By the way, Ben, one of the most incredible things I've ever, ever seen in my life was – one night many years ago, I got to go overnight to the FedEx hub in Memphis and watch what they do, that sorting operation, millions of packages in a matter of a few hours. All the planes come in from all over. Everything gets sorted, obviously, with, with a lot of electronic help, but also a lot of people. And then it all goes back out and it all happens in a few hours in the middle of the night while most of us are usually sleeping and UPS, obviously, has operations like that at Louisville and, and elsewhere, and really a, a remarkable operation. Dan from San Diego sends us a message with the subject line, United Ad. The body of the message is simply, I remember that ad. So Dan obviously is talking about that United Airlines ad that we mentioned in a recent episode, seemingly scared of people not wanting to do business face-to-face anymore. That tearjerker from 1989, great ad, and I'm sure lots of other people remember it too and just didn't take the time to write. So thank you, Dan. David from Washington, D.C. writes, I just listened to your June 24th podcast, and it instantly brought me back to my management days at U.S. Airways, U.S. Airways Shuttle, and Metrojet by U.S. Airways while under your leadership, Ben. Your fun-loving personality comes through your podcast perfectly, along with a no-nonsense, matter-of-fact presentation style. I miss the industry and you. I will be an avid listener of your podcast every week. So, Ben, basically David's saying that MetroJet was your fault. 
<laughs> well, Met- Met- MetroJet, for anybody who doesn't know, was the was the, the low cost offshoot of U.S. Airways. Most U.S. airlines had one of, one of those or more than one of them, and in some cases, those who didn't learn their lesson the first time, <laughs> and uh, you know, Song at Delta, which followed shuttle the the, the Delta thing, we shuttle yeah. by United, uh, Delta Delta Express was the Delta one, and and Delta uh, Song, yeah, the Song, and then Continental Light, and yeah, there were so many of them. They never, none of them worked. Anyway, oh, I'm choking. Well, of course, I, they, they, yeah, go ahead. Well, when I went to U.S. Airways in 1999, you know, I had this job as you know head of marketing, and then they handed me some other things that just like needed taking care of, and one of those was MetroJet, and. I, I'm happy to say that I wasn't one of the people that helped get rid of MetroJet also. <laughs> but but well, Dave Dave is one of many, many great people I worked with at US Airways. And it's it was really, really nice to get this note. And I'm I'm glad to hear that he's gonna be listening to the podcast. It's very nice to to hear someone you've worked with in your past who re- remembers you and and likes what you're doing now. So thanks very much, Dave. That's really nice. U.S. Airways had some really great people. Absolutely. Many of them are working at American Airlines now. Some are working at Amtrak and some are working in other parts of the industry, too. No, absolutely. A lot of people in the industry say that it was like the, the minor leagues for the airline industry. And that's that's not a uh, at all an insult. The idea being that people uh, learned their craft there and got good at it. And, and went on to other places. So no, a real compliment to you. That's a that's a nice message. Well, do you have a question for us or, or a compliment or a complaint, any of it? You can call us at 305-379-7429 and record a question for us anytime during the week. And we really will. If you, if you have something mean to say, we'll, we'll play it. We're not just uh, cherry picking the nice stuff. <laughs> I happen to have some really nice things this week. Again, 305-379-7429. You can email us, questions at airlinesconfidential.com, or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You'll see a form on there to submit your question. Well, fine or wine is next. But first, we want to thank Seabury Capital Group, a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, maritime and financial services and technologies. Their award-winning and widely respected team has superior knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology and solutions, as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in the industry, finance and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. Beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for Fine or Wine. We listen to an actual customer complaint and then we talk about whether a complaint is fine or whether they're just whining. And Ben, you have a complaint. This is from Alex in Highland, New York. Alex writes, purchase tickets from cheaptickets.com mm. to visit Chile with my wife using Latam Airlines. Since I am Chilean, I thought I should patronize Lan Chile, which was the airline's name before it yep. became Latam. <laughs> When I went to choose seats, I found out my flight was switched to American Airlines. The kicker is this. American Airlines charged me $450 in addition for the seats in their plane. I'm very disappointed about the bait and switch deal. I cannot change this now, but I'm very disappointed about Lon Chili and the bait and switch game they played. Hmm. $450. That sounds like a lot... That might be a typo. What do you think, Ben? And then we'll just talk about the bigger issue, whatever. It was. I think that, it probably is. Maybe it's yeah. one fifty. Yeah, that that would be. I don't know. <laughs> that that would that would be my guess. But but, but anyway, th- this is a we have a few issues here that are real. First of all, I know you've said before that at Spirit, it seemed to you like half of your complaints started with 
I purchased tickets from cheaptickets.com, right? We're not not picking on them. It's uh, or, or, or cheapaware.com. Right, right, right. <laughs> not, not picking it, right. But here's somebody who went to a site called cheaptickets.com, which is a, a, a different business model from the Expedia's or booking.com, you know, kayak and all and all of those. Uh, and and then the issue of purchase a ticket with one airline, maybe it's a code share, you end up with another airline, different policies. I mean, these are things that happen to people all the time. Should mention that, that this complaint came in before COVID. So just if anybody's wondering, this is just, you know, a, a pre-COVID thing. Obviously, not a lot of people traveling right now between the US and, and South America in general. But what do you say, Ben? Is is that fine or is it a whine? I think there's a little bit of fine here, actually. One of the realities of global alliances is you can buy a ticket on one airline and show up at the airport and it's an airplane of a different airline. It's what airlines call the marketing airline, the one who sells you the ticket, versus the operating airline, the one who flies the plane. Now, if LATAM has seat assignment requirements that are different than American Airlines, meaning Lon might have given him the seat for free or maybe for less than whatever he actually paid, whether it was $450. I can't imagine it was $450, but if, but it was clearly a lot of money and that he should have had that. And that's one of the challenges with alliances is how do you manage customers in an environment where they think they're getting one thing, but then they're actually getting something else. So in that sense, I'm empathetic to Alex and I think it's fine. Where it's a whine, I think, is that I've flown American more than I would like to, and they never make you buy a seat. Right. Right. You can choose to not buy a seat, and maybe you're not going to like the seat you get placed in, but you're not forced to buy the seat. So in that sense, if he spent a lot of money on seats, it's because he wanted really nice seats. And if he wanted really nice seats, I'm sure he got them for the price he paid, and that's a fair trade. So in some ways... I think it's fine because if he was going to fly on American Airlines, it should have been clear when his ticket was purchased that that's who he's flying on. And he could have done what you suggest all the time, his check seat guru and all kinds of things. Right? Yeah. All right. But then why did he pay the fee? It's because he wanted to sit in a nicer seat. And in that sense, he got what he wanted. And in that sense, don't whine. You got to Chile safely. Now, Latam isn't – you're never going to be on um, – a lot of time when you buy American again now, you might be on Delta, but not American. <laughs> very, very true. So, uh, so the, the general issue still exists, but uh, but not that specific dilemma. That's right, with That's American right. and, and Latam. And again, to be clear, I mean, it is one thing in the U.S. and airlines kind of kicked and screamed when this became the law. In fact, Ben kicked and screamed in spirit when this became the, the law. But, but you know, whatever price you see advertised, it has to be possible for you to travel safely at that price. Doesn't have to be fancy, not guaranteed a seat assignment, but if you ever feel like you're being forced to pay something extra, either, uh, I mean, the unlikely event is that it's truly required, but more likely, you know, you're misreading. Uh, I mean, there have been allegations of airlines misleading people over time, but, but, you know, whatever price you pay for that ticket in the U.S., uh, you're not going to have to pay something extra. You might have to travel light, <laughs> right? You might, you might not get to sit where you want, but, but it is possible 
to travel at that price. Am I right, Ben? Yeah, I think that's right. Again, you may you may think I should get this with my ticket, right? But in terms of being required to do it, you're you're absolutely right. Sam. Right. The, the the seat you're gonna have a seat. You're entitled to a seat just as much as anybody else. You just might not have an advanced seat assignment. So always keep that in mind. Well, on final approach now, that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions at 305-379-7429. Again, 305-379-7429. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm Ben Baldanza. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.